you can talk about deep ideas in a simple and clear way. Right. That way everyone can take something out of it. This is the Alchemized Life Podcast, and I am your host, Ava Johanna. Transformational mentor, speaker, teacher, and most importantly, a woman on a mission to bring wellness to the world. This podcast was created to bridge the gap for anyone craving more love, health, and happiness in each and every day. And with every episode, you will receive practical guidance to create magic in your own life. Combining the expertise of wellness visionaries and thought leaders, each week we will bring it back to basics and provide you with the tools meant to empower you to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So together, let's ditch the mean girl, you can't sit with us vibes, grab your favorite yoga pants, and start to find your uniquely alchemized life. Hey guys, welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. I am officially back stateside after being in Mexico at Camp Conscious last week. And I'm recording this right here, right now for all of you guys. And really excited to share one of the bigger takeaways that I had from the weekend. For those of you that have been following me on Instagram, you probably saw that I was at Camp Conscious, which is a wellness retreat down in Punta Mita, Mexico, put on by Taylor Burke, who is the Conscious Carb. She is absolutely incredible. And for being 26 years old and creating all that she's created, I am just in awe of her, her energy and her mission in this world. And I wanted to take a little bit of a step back because it was a big week for me as far as learning lessons. If you listened to last week's episode, you probably heard that I was in Big Sur and had a lot of revelations come up about my priorities and really what I want to bring into this world and share with all of you guys. And so to be honest, I had a lot of nerves going into this weekend and this retreat because I really didn't want to promote any jealousy or lust with you guys and with my audience. I wanted to be really, really mindful about that because there's been so many times when I've popped on Instagram and seen something going on that was like an influencer retreat or a weekend or something like that. And it just kind of made me feel less than and not inspired or energized. And so I was really worried going into this that I would be playing into that. And after that week in Big Sur, I just didn't want to play into making any of you feel like you are less than or unworthy or like I am better than you because I was able to go on this type of retreat. Um, It just like really made me feel icky that I could potentially even do that to a single person. So what that did was make me really, really, um, like I said, nervous going into the retreat. I had these expectations of how I was going to have to show up throughout the weekend um, that really put me in this like small little container of what I thought my experience was going to be. And the first day when I showed up, I was so anxious for being in a place like Mexico, so beautiful at this gorgeous villa. I was honestly, hysterically crying on the phone to my husband, just really, really feeling out of it, out of my body, not myself, and just scared to be there for four days, you know, not really knowing anybody or feeling like I was going to be able to continue integrating everything that I had learned in Big Sur that were really, really important lessons. And um, after having a conversation with him and him talking me off a ledge, I realized how I was really preventing myself from being in the space that I was and from actually in 
integrating those lessons and showing up fully through that integration to everyone that was on the retreat. I was teaching yoga and meditation every day and, you know, having that resistance form up and bubble up of not being able to be myself was actually really going to prevent me from connecting with everyone at the retreat. So having recognized that I was the one creating the resistance, preventing myself from connecting, preventing myself from showing up in my truest nature, I realized how quickly I needed to get out of my own way and show up fully as myself. And the reason why I wanted to share this with you guys, besides, you know, keeping it 100, 100% of the time, I wanted to just highlight that we can all go through this at so many different levels. And um, I know after speaking to some of the other girls on the trip that we all kind of felt that way of, you know, just wanting to make sure that we were continuing to empower people and not promote any type of emptiness within anyone. Um, I think that it's really important that we use our platforms to highlight how accessible these lifestyles are to anyone, regardless of where you're at. And it was um, really beautiful to have those conversations with everyone and realize one, that I was not alone in feeling that, but also that we are all in alignment on supporting this message of fullness, of richness, of fulfillment and joy with everything that we do and everything that we share. So with that being said, I invite you to look at the places where you are allowing your expectations to corner you into one set mindset or one set of beliefs and how that may be preventing you from connecting with either yourself or other people in your lives or opportunities rather than promoting you to be more open and expansive and welcoming of those connections, relationships, and opportunities. Because ultimately we can have all the expectations in the world, but it is in my belief that These expectations really just limit us from the expansive beauty and miracles that the universe and life has to offer. So the faster that we can get into alignment with the understanding that life can happen so much further outside of our expectations, the faster we can manifest absolutely everything that we desire, whether it's the dream job, the dream friendships, the dream man, whatever. So get out of your own way. I got out of my own way and I had the most incredible time connected with the most beautiful group of human beings. And I just feel really, really grateful for the experience as uncomfortable as it was in the beginning. And really all the discomfort was all from what I was building up in my mind that wasn't even there. So I'm going to include a link to Cam Conscious Instagram in the show notes so you guys can check it out. It's also just at Cam Conscious underscore. Um, we had so much fun. And I know that she's doing another retreat in February that is um, open to the public. I think there were 25 girls in total that were selected and it was just the best time ever. And if you guys feel called to do that, I highly suggest it. Anyways, I do not think that I would have been able to come to any of these conclusions without my meditation practice and my ability to observe my own habits, my own words, my own thoughts, and how they create the world around me. And the reason why I share this is because we have an amazing episode today with Corey Allen, who absolutely blew my mind when we spoke all about meditation, mindfulness, and the 
ability to receive life. So Corey Allen is an author, podcast host, meditation teacher, composer, and audio engineer. Yes, he is multi-hyphenated, multi-passionate, just like me. On his podcast, The Astral Hustle, he finds ways for us to live with more wonder and less suffering by speaking with leading experts in mindfulness, neuroscience, music, and philosophy. He also created the course release into now. And he recently released his book, Now is the Way, which I saw in Barnes and Noble the other day and was like, oh my God, yay, that's so cool. It's a great episode. We talk about why you can't be bad at meditating, why overthinking is a form of resistance, how you are not your thoughts, which I think is really, really powerful, but how your thoughts do turn into action. So You guys know I love talking about meditation and I hope that every episode that I release with people that are leaders within the meditation space will just inspire you more and more to get into a meditation practice, whether that is a daily practice or a moving meditation, whatever it might be. It's so powerful, you guys. Like I said, I would not have been able to come to any of the realizations that I was in my own way, that I was creating suffering within my experience over the past week and that I was able to also shift out of those states It does so much more than just release stress, release anxiety. Meditation has allowed me to tap into so much creativity, intuition, and a richness of life. So let's jump into today's episode with Corey Allen. Mr. Corey Allen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You know, I have to be honest, I was a little intimidated, like super excited to do this interview with you, but really intimidated because I've listened to you on the Aubrey Marcus show before. I've listened to your podcast as well. But I think that there's something to say about being a little intimidated when it comes to our work or relationships or how we look at ourselves because it adds this level of present awareness and needing to shift through discomfort. So I'm curious because you've done so much, you know, you are a multi-hyphenated, multi-passionate human (laughs) being. When intimidation comes up with the work that you're doing, like, what does that look like for you? Mm. Well, first, uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Also, please, by no means feel any intimidation. We're friends. We're just hanging out. And the point of this is for us to have fun. You know, there's what I, you know, any conversation that I'm a part of, I want it to be the best conversation for everyone involved, not one where I look like I'm winning the conversation. You know what I mean? So please, by all means, uh, be comfortable. I don't feel intimidation in conversation. I think a part of that is because whenever I was really, uh, you know, in my teens, I kind of figured out, and I write about this in my book a little bit, but I figured out that it's wise to spend your time around people that are way smarter than you. And so I did a lot of that. Whenever I was a teenager, I would hang out with people in their 20s and 30s. When I got into my 20s, I would hang out with people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and so forth, or 60s, and just talk about all the stuff I was interested in with people who had been into it for way longer than me. And what it did was it allowed me to one, be very comfortable with the idea that I might not know something or or that I'm just kind of out of my element. And then two, find the trust within my own intellectual capability to one, express what I'm saying with confidence or to be very comfortable asking questions and just having that relentless curiosity be 
actually a characteristic instead of something that becomes a detriment. I will say is that there are certain, every once in a while, particularly with like potentials and, and things that are aligning that could come into be that are uh, rather, you know, they're kind of like little dreams or whatever, they just, you know, benchmarks to hit. I don't feel anxious or intimidated. What I do feel is like a flush of energy and it's like excitement. It's almost like, it's like cosmic energy, right? Like rushing into my body and I start getting, I'm just get really pumped because I'm just so excited to go, go do the thing if it, if it comes to pass. But I think for anyone listening, someone that if they don't, someone does deal, deal with uh, intimate, feeling intimidated or imposter syndrome, that's something that I, I have dealt with that, you know, I think just pausing and recognizing that all of us individually have lived different lives and singular, have had singular experiences. Everyone has something to contribute. Everyone has pluses and minuses. We can all collaborate in this, you know, in life together and contribute to something greater that either of us could not have had separately. So just knowing that no matter who you are, you've got something to contribute because you've lived a life in a, in a context of life that no one else has experienced. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as you were speaking that, it really reminded me of this lunch that I went out to with a couple girlfriends that have been um, teaching and having healing practices for years and years and years. And the way that they were speaking was just so like energetically, it just like lit me up. Like I could feel my body buzzing. And it was something that I had never experienced before just through the language that they were using, the way in which they interacted. And it was almost like this quantum shift for me where I was like, whoa, like this is what it looks like to really start to be mindful about your language and really not only look at it conceptually while you're reading it in a book, but practice mm-hmm. it. And it was a super powerful moment for me that I feel really shifted me and the way that I speak overall, simply from just a lunch. I'm being mm-hmm. surrounded by people that were, you know, I guess farther along in life, older and, um, you know, professionally, but um, to like sit with them and just be that observer was a really, really powerful experience for me. So I love the sentiment that you shared about, you know, surrounding yourself with those people that are older, that have, you know, lived more life. I think that's why mentorship is so powerful mm-hmm. too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's wonderful. You had that experience. That's another, you, I think you did something else that's super valuable, maybe um, by uh, intuitively. And that's just being open, like allowing yourself to to really put down all of the the shapes and patterns in which one normally absorbs life and sees things and actually and put those things aside and allow yourself to be open and really receive what's happening in front of you for what it is in that moment. And you know, by you doing that and instead of trying to feel like you had to insert yourself or carve out this or do or feeling a pressure to perform in front of these people or with these people, just being able to feel that thing coming through in a new way is such a important way to be able to add more to the map of your territory because they're sharing map. You know, they've explored and done all these, you know, these different things and they've gone out there and they've added lines and, and stuff to their map of life. And by listening to it and being open and hearing it, you got to add that to your map. And so now you've got this greater understanding. Uh, there's a great Ramdas was talking about being around uh, Alan Watts and a few other people one time and they were hanging out. And of course, you know, Alan Watts is such a beautiful orator, uh, as is Ramdas. But they were hanging around and he said that Alan Watts just started talking. They were just, kind of, he was kind of holding court, you know, and he said that 
he was talking for half an hour and then an hour and then two hours. And they're just like hanging out. It's not like a, you know, a function or something. <laughs> and he said during that, he started squirming and it was like, well, hold on a second. I know stuff. Like you know, when, when is it, when is he going to shut up and let me chime in and show everyone that I know things too. And he said, then after we get, when we got into the third hour of Alan Watts, just, mm-hmm. you know, talking, I realized like, oh, he's being our mouth right now. And like, there's a beauty in, in uh, being able to just chill and absorb what's arising collectively, as opposed to feeling like you have to insert your your ego into the situation. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a full on like witnessing of the ego when that does come up. And when we feel the desire or need to insert ourselves, insert our intelligence and say, hey, look at what I know mm-hmm. versus kind of just sitting back and allowing. And I think that for me, I mean, meditation is what allowed me to kind of take that that stance and not yeah. be so like up and in, in your face and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that you had this kind of knowing or inner knowing prior to discovering meditation? Like, take me back to years ago when you discovered meditation, and prior to that, what was what was life like for you? Yeah, I mean, I you know prior to discovering meditation, even actually after I discovered it as a as a teen. I was very, very just reactive and, you know, was kind of a narcissistic little prick, you know, to a big degree. And, but, you know, and that's all comes from insecurity. You know, we, we do that whenever we feel insecure, whenever we feel uh, incompatible with our surroundings, you know, lashing out. It's a form of active defense. It's like a dog barking. It's not doing it because they're trying to aggress you. They're doing it actually to get you to stay, stay back, you know. So it seems like they're being aggressive, but really it's a warning sign. You know, whenever people are outwardly critical like that, that's it's generally a warning sign that they're scared, not that they're trying to be dominant. You know, so I was very much like that whenever I was younger, and really, ultimately, as I said, just being reactive. Uh, that's a huge element of, I think, developing the you know the, the tools of mindfulness will be will be helpful in finding out how to get out of this momentum of reaction that we get into because. Whenever we you know, are, are born into our family, we're, we're told who we are and, and what we're supposed to be like before we can even talk. We are, have all of these cultural programs downloaded onto us. Our family you know, genetic inheritance gets zapped into us. And we start approaching life in this matter where we believe that we, we have been told what things are and how things should be and how we should be. And there's no gray area in general. And so we start just reacting to this thing, reacting to this thing, having a negative reaction, an aggressive reaction uh, to ideas, to people, to circumstances. And that can, it's, it's like a um, kind of a reverberation. You know, it's like when you hear a sound in a, in a gymnasium or something and it just goes bouncing around the room. That's how the unfolding of our actions in our lives tends to begin. And some people never get out of that because what you need to step out of the reactionary unfolding of your narrative uh, is space and self-awareness. So by cultivating uh, a mindfulness or you know, through mindfulness practice, through meditation, you can cultivate that awareness and it gives you the space to be able to pause and realize how you're engaging with the world how you're talking to people and you begin to have uh, an ownership of your thoughts of how you express yourself and then also a sovereignty of your own thinking you begin to go wait a second what do i think and why do i think this 
was I told to think this or is this actually what makes sense to me? Why am I reacting this way? Am I doing it because I'm scared or because I'm hurt or something? Or am I doing it because it's what I believe? Uh, am I creating more negativity in the world? Am I trying to build some type of, uh, type of positive, constructive force in the world? What am I doing? And, and I, I believe that I know that meditation is the ultimate way to create that, that internal space that allows you to get your head above water and, and breathe and actually take authorship of your life and begin to, to author your future. So that was definitely what happened to me um, after <clears throat> several years of meditation. Yeah, you know, and going back to reactivity, and you mentioned this in at the beginning of your book, um, just that we're constantly given this phone that gives us all of these notifications all day. So we're always in a state of reaction mm-hmm. when we are sl- slaves toward like digital devices that are sending us emails, pinging us on Instagram, and putting us in this state where we really are on the defense, feeling a desire and necessity to respond back constantly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been something that has been interesting for me to look at with this generation that's coming up is just how deeply ingrained the digital world is in their lives. Like my little sister is 17 years old, spends probably like six, seven hours on her phone a day. And it's like just glued her eyes and it, it's wild. So what do you like, what do you think about that? Where, cause I, I also see people that are starting to meditate or kids starting to meditate at a super young age. So there's like this dichotomy there that I'm super interested and intrigued by. Yeah. I think that our culturally humans are able to feel issues and problems in a seismic way. we, before it doesn't even have to rise to consciousness, particularly in a a clear intellectual understanding, but people, groups like right now, I think people are kind of understanding and getting the feeling that outrage culture is perhaps not uh, the key and the answer. And actually it's it's more of a self-identifier in a lot of ways, as opposed to something where people are really feeling outraged. People are really offended. I, I noticed that that's sort of waking up a little bit. Uh, the generation that was hit with all the technology prior to us as a society recognizing the damage that it was doing is going to struggle. I mean, they're struggling right now, like what you're talking about, just being lost in the phone. And then since that, we, there's been more awareness around what that's doing to us, the effects that technology and the constant connection to a device is having. Now the generations after them, the younger, like you were talking about the kids, that's why mindfulness and meditation is becoming more uh, spread across uh, every, you know, it's very popularized now because of that. And so kids are being treated to that early adoption, which is wonderful. I think that the pe- the generations that are really deeply anchored to and, and have built their relationship with life based upon their devices, you know, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging for them to step out of that because it's, they're going to have to rewire the way that they think. They're going to have to recognize that there is another way of living. I mean, imagine if you, whenever you were 17 and someone told you to uproot the way that you saw, you know, and lived your life, there's, there's an inherent rebellious nature to be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm doing you know, what I'm doing and this is fine. But what will happen and what I think that we can do is... You, know, you can't tell anyone to change. You can't force anyone to learn something. One must recognize and realize it themselves. So whenever those people, those generations that are suffering the brunt of the rise of technology and the consistency of technology, 
begin to hit those walls and face those challenges like anxiety, depression, and feelings of loneliness, feelings of isolation, lack of understanding of the self and identity because of the, you know, just the matrix of social media and the internet and so forth, having answers prepared for those people and those generations whenever they do hit those walls, I think is something that's really valuable and important. Yeah. So I'm curious in your own life, then how do you balance it? Utilizing meditation and mindfulness? Like what does that look like to you that maybe listeners could steal a page out of your book that they feel too connected? Uh, yeah, I think that a major useful thing is one, realizing that it's causing problems. <laughs> Start there. Um, and then two, uh, a great way to mitigate the constant connection with your device is batching your time that you use with it. That's one thing that's really useful. Also making it where we get into you know habits. We get these habits, reactive things where you can be doing something and you pull up your phone. I'm sure anyone listening has done this. You pull your phone out and then your thumb is hitting Instagram or whatever. And you're like, what? It's opening and you don't even realize that you clicked on it. You just do it because it becomes this habit, right? And then 30 like, minutes later, you're like, what was I even yeah, on my phone for? Right. You're standing in a weird <laughs> spot in the kitchen. Like you were walking to the kitchen yeah. and you paused like a zombie. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Squatting on the ground. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And so one thing to do is like move your icons around on your phone. Mm, I like that. You're not like doing it mindlessly. I have my email and my social media apps on the last page of my phone in a folder called social media. So there's all these barriers to entry. So if I want to go look at it, I have to like open it up, swipe to the right four times, then open a folder, then I can get to my social media. And so on the journey there, you've got plenty of time to pause and be like, wait a second, what am I doing and why am I doing this? Um, so that's useful. And then batching your time. So even with email too, is looking at it and you can, what you actually achieve through email or through looking at social media as far as a productive way. Um, and it, you know, these things are fun. They're, they can certainly be, be used for fun, but what you can achieve with them can be done in about 15 minutes yeah. you know, or so. But we spend, as you said, eight hours or seven hours with them. So batching a time where you go, okay, I'm going to look at my email or my um, and you know work stuff aside, if you're you know your personal email or your social media stuff from uh, you know twelve thirty to one, and then I'll check back in on it from eight thirty to nine or something like that. So you've got these half hour times set, and you know it can be flexible and fluid or whatever, but just not looking at it every two minutes or something like that, but really just being all right. I'm gonna give myself this time here and then not look at it elsewhere. Another thing I like doing at home is just putting my phone in the other room and just leaving it there. Mm -hmm. And the first time you do that or the first few days that a person does that and they might feel a little naked or like they're, you know, if you wear jewelry. Grasping. Yeah, if you're wearing jewelry all the time <laughs> and you take it off, you're like, well, I feel weird. Or if you wear glasses and then you don't have them on, it feels alien. But that wears off, you know, that wears off. And um I think in introducing other things to your mind is a very useful way to forget about those c compulsions. So pick up a book, start reading something, um, tend to something with your hands, get outside, even doing chores, you know, whatever it is, like get busy doing something else that, that demands your attention. And then you'll wake up and go, hmm, I don't feel as fragmented and as irritated and as outrage or whatever as I yeah. normally do. And it's because I'm not constantly filling my head with this mental diet of bad digital sugars. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I mean, it reminds me, the moving the apps around reminds me of every time my husband goes in the kitchen and tries to put the dishes away and puts them in the completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I joke with my wife that mine is the loading of the dishwasher. I have a a free jazz, kind of a jazz way of doing it where it's like, it all works. I never broken anything, but somehow, yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, so the first thing that you mentioned is recognizing that there is a problem there with with social media, with like digital, your email, whatever it is. One of the things that I've found very interesting along my journey, just, you know, conversing with other people and also definitely within myself, I will fully recognize this, is the ability to recognize. Mm -hmm. And you talk about suffering in your book. And so I'm curious, for those that are in a state where they are suffering, but maybe not fully taking responsibility, how would you recommend shifting that cycle or breaking that cycle and like finally really recognizing and then showing up for yourself? Well, I think that um, how can you recognize your suffering if you're not aware of it? It is if you begin to feel undercurrents of certain feelings, like if you are feeling anxieties or you're feeling, I don't know why I'm feeling depressed sometimes, or I don't know why I'm feeling uh, anxious sometimes, seeing that those are the, the undercurrents, that's the ocean kind of moving underneath the surface of your mind and seeing, okay, I am, maybe there's something I need to address here. You know, um, the mind is so interesting and can be so tricky because as a protection mechanism, it tries to hide things that are causing us pain so that we'll continue on. Because ultimately, we're designed to procreate and to, no matter what the circumstance, find some way to keep living. And our old brain, your amygdala brain, our ancient uh, human brain, it doesn't really care if we're quote unquote happy or in pain. It cares about the fact that we're still living. So it tends to hide things, hide traumas from us, hide pains from us. And those things get buried. Um, I like to describe them like they're crates that things that we need to address are, are put into and then they're dropped into the ocean of our subconscious. We can feel them in deep, deep in the trenches of our self but we have no clarity about what they are, what they're connected to, or how to open them. But whenever you start feeling those emotions or those deep feelings of uh, discomfort, recognizing that that is suffering, that is like, and then asking yourself, you know, what is that? How can I spend more time with that? How can I put my attention and try to understand why I'm feeling that way? And, um, you know, meditation, once again, is a great way to get insight on those feelings. You know, a lot of people, there was a period of time where I was doing a lot of in-person uh, meditation workshops with, you know, 100 people would show up at a time. A lot of those people were first-time meditators, and there would be a lot of people. I tend to take people not like deep in the sense of, well, I like to really get people into the connected, right? Their first time as much as I can. And a lot of people would start crying during their meditation deeply or come up to me afterwards and, and tell me that they had uh, emotions that they had never felt before that were emotions of suffering. And what's interesting is that unless until you stop yourself and allow yourself to become aware of what you're thinking and what you're experiencing for a moment or two, 
there's never any time to recognize what's going on inside of us, right? That's like people try meditating for the first time. They say, oh, well, my mind was crazy and busy and just a bunch of static was going on. I must not be a good meditator. It's like, well, no, you actually solved the hardest problem of all, which is recognizing your thoughts. So because you've never addressed your thoughts before, uh, the first time you look at them, of course, they're busy and it's chaotic and there's a lot of noise and static. But after you do that, the more time that you spend directing your attention and your focus to them, the more time or the easier it will be to begin to release and focus that that uh, fragmentation. And so is the same with your emotions. Once you begin to meditate, you can address and feel those things that are arising, begin to get perspective on them. And then the more that you allow them to arise and spend time with them, the more you'll learn about them, the more you'll understand them, and then you'll be able to address them and, and work on them. And, and then eventually pass through them and get on the other side of them. I've fully experienced that in meditation so many times. And it's interesting because I was recently at a workshop with Emily Fletcher, who is the founder of the Ziva Meditation Technique. One of the gentlemen that was in the workshop um, raised his hand and basically was like, you know, this, it's too much for me. It is too much for me to sit in these feelings. And so I think that there is a recognition that like, when you do finally take enough time to slow down, yeah, things are going to come up because they have been buried for so long. And whether you've had a life with a lot of trauma or just a little bit of trauma, there's still the stress there that is in your cells, you know? And so of course that's going to come up. So I'm really curious what your meditation technique looks like. Yeah, mine has really changed. It's been a lot of different things over the years, uh, probably about you know, 20 years into meditation at this point. At the beginning, it was very, very basic and very simple. Since then, I, I'm very much an explorer type of person. So I like to test, see the limits of my consciousness, see what's possible, test all sorts of different things and just figure out what's what. And so uh, it's gone all over the place. Uh, nowadays, it is pretty consistent in that well, I meditate five times a week, uh, always in the morning for generally about 20 or 30 minutes a day. The first five or so minutes is just closing my eyes and breathing and just, you know, getting, it's just blowing off all the compression and the tension of the day and getting settled. Then the the middle part is generally, um, my meditations are highly visual. So uh, I have like a, a kind of a visionary deeply psychedelic type of uh, visual experiencing my meditations these days. I look at that as a stabilization and a balance of the threshold of the subconscious and conscious mind becoming opaque enough to where the symbolic nature of my subconscious is able to pass through and communicate things to my intellectual awareness mind that uh, are able to be understood and processed. Our brains are so weird. They're, they're always in this pattern of trying to convince itself or get itself to realize something. You know what I mean? It's so strange. Right? So uh, during that visionary uh, period, I just listen a lot of times. It's almost like I just watch this mind's eye unfolding and, and allow the insights that come through those experiences to register and settle in. All right, my friends, 
as I mentioned, this past weekend, I was in Mexico and it was hot, like hotter than hot. I was schwitzing the entire time, a true schwitzy mess. And we were working out every single day. So I'm very grateful that I had not one, but two sticks of my native deodorant with me to help me not sweat all over the place and stink up the entire retreat. If you haven't heard of native, I don't know if you've been living under a rock, but they are my go-to for safe, simple, and effective bathroom products, specifically their deodorant. They don't have any aluminum, no parabens, no talc, and it's filled with ingredients found in nature like coconut oil and shea butter. And it absorbs the wetness, which is so great because I sweat a lot. Anyone else? Just me? Okay. Anyways, you guys have to try native deodorant. Contrary to popular belief, this is one of the only natural deodorants I've found that actually works. Plus, they have over 9,000 five-star reviews, so they must be doing something, right? My favorite deodorant is the eucalyptus and mint right now, but they are always releasing new scents, so I seriously suggest going to their website and checking them out. The website is nativedeodorant.com, and since you listen to the Alchemized Life podcast, I am hooking you guys up with 20% off, yeah, 20% off of your order. All you have to do is go to nativedeodorant.com and use the code alchemized at checkout to get 20% off of your order. Again, that's nativedeodorant.com. The code is alchemized and you'll get 20% off your order. And before we jump back into this week's episode with Corey Allen, I want to remind you, my mentorship program is accepting two applicants, just two. And I am so excited to welcome these two goddesses into this transformational program. So you must have heard me talking about it. But if not, it is a four-month program with two months of additional voice and text support. So really, it's a six-month program that is meant to completely transform your personal life and your career. We work through all of the different personal blocks and limiting beliefs that have prevented you from stepping into your true purpose and shining your light so fucking bright to the world. This is for the woman that is ready to make massive, massive changes in her life to take the steps necessary to alchemize the career and the purpose, the relationship and the life that you wish to have. So if you're ready to take your life and your career to the next level, I would absolutely love to see your application land in my inbox and schedule a discovery call with you. The program is starting this month. So if you feel the pull at all, I highly suggest getting on that right now. Like pause this interview, Take a moment, go to the show notes, head to the link to fill out the application because I would absolutely love to support you if you are feeling called and in alignment through these words and through this message. Again, you can find all of the details in this week's episode's show notes. So that's going to be the application and the details on the mentorship program. But I really encourage you to apply because you don't want to look back six months from now wondering what life would have been like if you took that leap today, right here, right now. All right, with that being said, let's jump back into the episode with Corey. I was curious, did did that shift after a certain amount of time of meditating, psychedelic experiences? When did you start or has it kind of always been this dance between the visions and like the subconscious and conscious mind? Yeah, it wasn't at first. uh, And then... After, I guess, 
a few years, then I got, I would, you know, meditate on psychedelics in my, like, you know, whenever I was a lot younger, um, then it would start really happening in like flares, like big bursts where I'd have this, what seemed at the time to be like a crazy visualization. Now, like that's, you know, child, it's like a a fragment of what I experienced, but like at the time uh, it would be this wild thing. And then it just slowly got more, yeah, deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and then, yeah, also uh, the, I think that the, after I had uh, not really endorsing or condoning it or suggesting it, but after some very intense ayahuasca experiences, uh, it then was, I think, crystallized. And because before I was always like, this is a, an interesting phenomenon that I'm experiencing, and I I wonder if this experience is being induced by you know something that is only within me or is this an externally induced experience or is it possible to induce the same type of visionary experience externally and after those experiences yeah it it somehow provided some ability for me to to sit with what was and really allow those visionary experiences to be more at home in my meditation space if that makes any sense yeah absolutely uh, it, it's it's super interesting for me because i find that in a lot of ways i will chase that type of psychedelic experience and i haven't quite experienced that in a meditation but in more intense breath work mm, I've, mm. I've had psychedelic experiences that have been far greater than any psilocybin or lsd that i've ever done right, right. um I, i've never done ayahuasca before but um it's interesting to hear the path of how it did kind of crystallize and almost as if there was this unlocking mm-hmm. after those few experiences where it just really integrated into your, or allowed your subconscious and conscious to meet, meet each other yeah. within, within the space that you're creating. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it was very much an accepting of like, okay, yeah, cool. This is supposed to be here. This makes sense. <laughs> So that kind of leads me to one of my next questions, which is really how meditation unlocks what you already know. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting for me because I go back and forth with, you know, wanting to consult mentors and then consulting a mentor and then them kind of already repeating back what I already know. And this like dance between questioning my intuition and questioning what's coming up for me and a little bit of distrust. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, one, I, I think you should always listen to your intuition. Always. You know, it's, um, there's a, a DK Suzuki who's a Zen, older Zen Buddhist writer that I like a lot. He has this notion in one of his books that uh, intuition is actually a form of enlightenment and not in the sense of system one mind, you know, Daniel Kahneman uh, style, but intuition, the form of what is the depth of your arising of the, the, the deepest formulation of awareness of thought that's coming up. The sooner you can tap into that and honor and listen to that, the more of you and the fullness of you will be able to come out. You know, and that makes a lot of sense to me because, of course, everything we pass through our intellectual mind, you know, that's where the ego lives, that's where the inner critic lives, that's where our paranoia about social integration and all this stuff lives. And so I think Suzuki is talking about what we were talking about earlier, um, and that is that 
yes, listening to the, the what's arising in your your subconscious, we often have these an understanding or a, a premonition about something we're un, unsure about. Carl Jung talks interestingly about how that's why one of the very useful benefits of language is that we have to speak things out into the world to get it out of ourselves, to be able to then gain context on it, to understand it. So it happens to all of us. Like we'll be talking about something, we'll have no real sort of what we're talking about. We're, we're kind of figuring out as we're talking that as it comes out of us, we're then like, oh, okay, now I get it. And then we can kind of continue on and continue crystallizing and formulating that idea. I think all of this is right living next to each other. Um, and that, uh, yeah, it, I think in... In meditation, you know, those ideas that are coming up are basically we're quieting the mind, we're allowing the intellectual mind to soften a bit and have some space in there for those deeper formulations and those symbolic ideas to arise and turn into something less abstract that we can then understand. And I think that the more you can just take this into the world and that Whenever, so, you know, we all do this because we live, you know, we have anxiety about feeling integrated into society and feeling accepted and, and what have you, or even by our families or whatever. So we feel something that we feel to be true. And then we twist it up and we manipulate it because we feel like if we can, we need to shift it and change it to make it more acceptable by others. And all of us do that constantly. But if you, can listen to what you're actually feeling and really just catch yourself and stop that manipulation process of your own thought. Just, okay, what came up? Okay, snapshot. What is that that just came up? And take that into the world just once or twice. It's stunning what that will do in that the, you know, even in a relationship or something like that, if you're feeling something or if you want to say something, you go, okay, well, now I need to either soften it up or twist it or make it where it won't turn into a conflict or I won't hurt their feelings. And all those things are well-intentioned. But really catching what the kernel is, the the, the jewel and the gem of what's, what you're feeling and just snapshotting that and, okay, this is what I need to express in a compassionate and kind and, and reasonable way but just never losing that initial uh, seed of what's arising. And I, I think that the more that you do that in the world, you can be at work, you can be just out wherever or with yourself, the more that everyone will discover that that is the source and the place that all of us should be listening to because that's actually a, a more integrated, more pure version of our identity. It's like the root of our, of our selfhood is where all that's coming from. Um, and then our intellectual mind is like the Play-Doh filter that we're putting on the end of the thing that squirts it out into the shape of a star. Well, that's twisted and changed, right? But to me anyway, the more that you, in my experience, the more that you begin to listen to what's arising and honoring that, the more that you find the world and your interaction shift in a positive way. But it cuts away a lot of the nonsense. It cuts away a lot of the fear and anxiety and all that stuff. And the more that you begin trusting that, the more that you're able to accept yourself and sit with what is and be like, settle down into yourself. Okay, this is, I'm going to just listen to what's arising and, and honor that. And um, yeah, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful way to allow all of what you are to come through as opposed to 
this part of you that you, uh, the only, the singular part of you that you think is okay? You know, timing is everything. And I'm sure you'll resonate with with what I'm about to say because you are married. But last week I had, I'm recently married. And last week I just had a really messed up dream. It just got me into that headspace, you know, that dreams just sometimes do. And I woke up and started going through all of these different things. I was upset with my partner and just not, I wasn't in a good space. And I was like, you know what? I need to meditate. And in my meditation, sitting there for 20 minutes, I started recognizing what it was that pissed me off about the dream, what it was that made me sad about the dream, and what it is that I really want that I felt like I wasn't receiving in my relationship. Mm -hmm. And so having that clarity and that context around why the dream made me feel a certain way allowed me to take that snapshot, as you say, and present it to my husband in a way that was compassionate, but was still expressing what it is that I need and that I want because it is, you know, being in a relationship, it is important that we are able to express ourselves, especially if you're with them for life. You know, you don't want to hold back or twist your words or manipulate it based off of what you saw in your parents' relationship or in the relationships that you've seen throughout your life. And so I think that having that space and that clarity and then being able to communicate effectively, which is definitely one thing that I've learned from meditation as well, has been so powerful. So um, thank you for sharing that viewpoint as far as you know, tapping in via meditation. Oh yeah, of course, for sure. My pleasure. This is a great, another great uh, Zen saying, uh, first thought, best thought. So that's a good one to remind, to remember, you know, <laughs> it's like, all right. And, and of course, let's, you know, you could map that over to something destructive, but yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in relativity to intuition, that's, it's a good one. Yeah, no. And that's actually a great point because one of my questions for you was really being able to discern between impulse and intuition, mm-hmm. um, especially when we still have these layers of conditioning on us. How can we... really discern between what is our intuition coming up and what is just an impulse based off of our past patterns. Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah, if you, it's the difference between craving and being hungry. Are you craving or are you hungry? That's, it's, that's the difference. I'm constantly craving. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good that you're developing impulse control then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So talk to me about your book. What inspired you? Like I said, at the beginning of this, you are multi-hyphenated, multi-passionate. I know that you, you make music as well. You have your podcast. Why a book? Yeah. I mean, basically, uh, I have been a lifelong, uh, uh, reader, you know, deep, deep into books. They've been my guides and my teachers my whole life. So, uh, and I worked in bookstores whenever I was uh, a teenager and in my early twenties and then record stores and stuff too, but uh, very much a book, booky type of person. But it came around because I uh, ultimately started my podcast and I started it just for fun. And I thought I'd have a bunch of I have fun conversations with cool people I know, and I thought it'd be good to share them and fun to share them publicly. And then I started talking about my experiences and my life because I always look at knowledge as not a, or not not knowledge, but you know, ideas as um, non-hierarchical. That's important to me to have a, a democratic conversation with knowledge. Um, I don't want uh, there to be one person talking as if it is the the law or the truth. I like to present things like the campfire method. I describe it as like if we were 
uh, you know, cave people, hunter gatherers or whatever, walking through the jungle and you hear a sound and then a jaguar jumps out and you fight it off later around the campfire when everyone's eating that jaguar or something, you can say, Hey, by the way, homie, uh, I heard this sound and that was then a jaguar jumped out. So going to be useful for you. It was useful for me, helped me from dying. And they can say, okay, cool. Thanks. And the next day they'll share something with you and so forth. So it's not this, the, the information that's shared is not this, I am the teacher. It is like, this worked for me. So maybe it'll work for you. I hope it does. Or I hope it saves you some, some time in your suffering. So that was the, the way I approached my podcast. And as I did that, I talked about my specific challenges and personal things I faced. And I started getting, as the show started growing, I started getting more and more feedback from listeners. And they started saying, hey, man, um, this thing that you said, this challenge you faced, it was like this key turning in my mind because I'm experiencing that right now. And it unlocked this perspective or this understanding of a way for me to pass through and get on the other side of that challenge or to overcome this thing I've been dealing with or to even just find witness in what seems like a really alien type of experience. Like I think the biggest one that I ever got back was I talked about going through a period of what I call existential paralysis where it was like my mind was so kind of blown with awareness that I was really paralyzed in the suffering state of being hyper aware of the existential nature of my experience for a couple of years. Not fun, but uh, I learned a lot <laughs> from it. But I thought that was like something that happened to me. And I realized there, there was like, you know, hundreds of people were like, oh my God, I'm yeah. in that now, or I went through that. Well, and that's why it's so powerful to share, you know, like, like I was saying about last week, like I felt like, am I the only person that feels this way? Um, you know, is everyone else's marriage perfect? And I right. just feel this way, you know? And I think that it's, that's why it's so important for us to share ideas, to share knowledge, because it helps us not feel so alienated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as I did that, I realized what you just said was that I was like, oh, these are universal human experiences. These are things that all of us go through for the most part in one way or another. And uh, so then I continued on with the podcast. And so as I continued talking about things, you know, different, uh, you know, they would resonate with people and so on. Uh, and then snapshot that with also my observ observation of the horizon of how society is shifting, what's happening right now. People are feeling the overwhelm, our anxiety rates, depression is through the roof, all of these type of things. People are suffering, feeling fragmented, pulled away from themselves, caught in these long momentums of distraction and, and what have you. And I saw it all. It's clear to me why that is because of my past experience. And I saw this opportunity to take this ability to share how I got all of these things, my map, you know, of how I got on the other side of my uh, suffering and challenges with what people are just entering into right now and, you know, uh, as, as a culture. And I thought if I could create this guide for people, they would be perfectly timed to arrive in the hands of everyone that's waking up to what they're experiencing. And so I intentionally, you know, the, I intentionally wrote the book and structured it almost like a, like a business book or something I've been joking about because one of the things about mindfulness, about meditation or, or whatever, the you know, inner life 
it's all, well, not always, but it's often very, very hazy and flowery when it's written about. I don't like that. I like stuff that's really firm, simple, succinct, comprehensive that people can take into their lives because I don't want someone to just read something and smile and feel good while they're reading it and then wake up tomorrow and just keep living the same script over and over. I want someone to read it, to understand it, and to be able to integrate it as a tool into their future. And so I built this bridge from knowing to doing in the book. So it's broke down in four sections. There's a now section, which describes the present moment in a real way so that someone can feel it and know what they're looking for, know how to feel the abundance of the presence and just their their life and the beauty that surrounds us at all. It's actually waiting for us to tap into it. It's one of the funny things, like those moments in your life where you feel like, ah, oh, everything is right. I feel just like, you know, blissed out. I feel wonderful. That feeling, that's always there waiting for you. You just have to tap back into it and find it again, right? So there's the now section. There's a there section, which describes the common ways in our society, in the modern world, how we get pulled away from ourselves and fragmented and and twisted in all these different directions. The here section is how to return, how to mitigate those feelings of getting pulled away, getting distracted. And then the how section is the real uh, spot where it kicks off, where there's the 12 ways to now, that's 12 guiding principles that you can deploy in your life that'll cause, uh, create real change in, in the really functional ways to draw you back to yourself and back to that present moment. And then I wrote a section called On Meditation um, because I sort of like against my will have become uh, a well-known meditation teacher. <laughs> uh, it is I decided to include a personal playbook and a very just crystal clear almost destigmatization, clearing away of the haze of meditation of how people can drop in there and easily stick to a practice. I addressed as many of the um, confusing points uh, that, I, that I could because also having launched my meditation course several years ago, uh, you know, I've had thousands of people take that course and I, get all, I got all this feedback from people about their questions, their you know things that they were unclear about. So I was in a unique position to get this test group of real life people in their twenties and thirties saying, "Hey, you know uh, X, Y, and Z." And I was able to find the patterns in those, and then okay, these are the most common issues that boots on the ground, or I guess flowing pants, bare feet on the ground, meditation are, pillows, yeah, <laughs> are experiencing, and I was able to to integrate that all that into the book. Well, and you know what's so interesting because I do teach meditation as well is um, I, you know, I have new people come into my classes all the time and some of the things that I'm like, oh, people already know that like, it's okay to have thoughts or, you know, like that's still very much a huge (laughs) myth for most of the population. Yeah. No, no, they don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really interesting, you know, I think in that kind of is why it's really helpful to put yourself in the beginner's seat and the or beginner's Always, yeah. all the time because we, over time, just gain so much perspective. We forgot what it was like to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very useful. I think as my, for me anyway, on my podcast, like over the last four years, my way of speaking and the way I describe even what I'm talking about in the moment has become so much more precise and simplified in a way that 
I want everyone to be able to understand what I'm talking about because of that very thing. Like at the beginning, whenever I started my podcast, I would just rant like uh, and ramble about whatever was coming out. And I realized the one that was creating some issues where whenever I was joking or being hypothetical or speculative, I realized that there was you know, a lot of people that were taking that literally. And I was like, well, that's not good because I want to <laughs> draw people down a path of delusion or something. And also realizing that like, I love detail. I love complexity and stuff like that so much is that talking about things in a really complex way, if someone is new to it, it's very, it's a failure on my part as a communicator that they're feeling lost or not getting what I'm talking about. So uh, yeah, it's such a great thing to, for, it was a, a very beneficial thing for me to learn uh, through doing the show, like, okay, let's, you can talk about deep ideas in a s- simple and clear way. Right. That way everyone can take something out of it. Right. Yeah. Just making it approachable. And I think that's why your book is so powerful because it is this modern mindfulness um, that really is accessible for people, whether they've been meditating for 20 years or have literally never even heard of any type of meditation technique. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad that you saw that. And I spent a lot of time making sure that big ideas were collapsed into simple sentences so that there's layers there. So that, as you said, you know, a first timer can read that and take a lot out of it. Or someone, uh, the same person can then come back to it a year later and read it and get something else and so on and so on. So it'll deepen, you know, and I, that's just my, Shout out to someone like Alan Watts or Thich Nhat Hanh that I really respect, or even you know, Nietzsche is a great example, a little different subject, but again, you know, bearing sticks of dynamite in simplicity where it's like, oh, you go back and read it and there's, there's just this constant depth where it, it grows with you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just goes back to what we were saying earlier about just, you know, supporting the generations that are needing to learn these mindfulness practices. It's looking at how you can break it down in a way that is going to be inviting enough and interesting enough and intriguing enough for them to want to join. Uh, Absolutely. And that's why this is so wonderful seeing this new generation of people who are all sharing this information with you know people who are younger with the the new upcoming generation that there's such a a, a interest in it it's such so i'm grateful i'm just really really grateful that these tools and everything have become so popularized and that everyone's getting to benefit from because it's I, in my opinion it's a it's like a part of our birthright you know it's like we have our mind we have our body and our spirit or source or soul or whatever you want to call it and having these ideas and, and this self-control the self-awareness and this personal sovereignty of our own minds is uh something that we should all be able to experience I fully agree. And if I do say so myself, now is the way. (laughs) (laughs) So Corey, thank you so much for coming on the Alchemize Life podcast. I'm truly so grateful. You are not intimidating at all. I've so enjoyed this conversation with you. Um, So can you just share where people can find you, find your book um, and follow along with everything that you're doing? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm very grateful for you to have me. Um, I'm glad that I'm not intimidating. Uh, yeah. Nowistheway.com. You can find the book there and you can also, um, it's connected to my website. So my all my other stuff, music, the podcast, binaural beats, meditation course, all that stuff's over there. 